Welcome to the Hired Geek Podcast. I'm Dustin Ramsdell, and every week I'm having conversations with influential hired leaders about the work they're doing, the impact they're making, and how you too can better implement technology to support student success. So I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. Somebody that I've uh, collaborated with on just kind of various projects and kind of met in different circles. Uh, I feel like we just have a really good reason to like sit down and co- have a conversation because I feel like sometimes it's just like, oh, I wish I could just talk to all my like friends or people I collaborate with just because. But then it's like, let's like find a reason, air quotes, uh, you know, to do it. So um, uh, our guest today, Adam, you got a lot of cool stuff going on. We'll try to cover uh, all of it and as much as we can get to kind of uh, exploring all the context around uh, what you've been working on, everything. But uh, we'll start as we always do. If you want to do kind of the super quick elevator pitch uh, introduction of who you are, what you're about, and then we'll kind of break down parts of your background yeah. and the different projects you're working on. Right sure. Now. Thanks, Dustin. Dustin, this is so awesome to be on the podcast because I really, I really respect and think this podcast is really great. You know, it's such a kind of inside baseball, higher ed. And, and all of us who are like total higher ed nerds should be like listening to this or higher ed geeks, really, right? We're all higher ed geeks, so we should be listening to this. So I really appreciate being on and, and being able to to talk about, yeah, where we are with higher ed and kind of what we can do, maybe what we can do to make it make it better uh, for everybody. I guess my kind of bona fides in higher ed is uh, is that I was the I was the director and kind of designer of the Make School program, which is like a an innovative uh, two year like accelerated bachelor's degree program. It started off as just a two-year program, but then it be, we I, I recommended to the founders that we we seek accreditation, and we used we kind of used some innovative stuff to get accreditation. It ended up it ended the the organization ended up kind of caving in on itself financially, and the but the but the program lives on in Dominican University. So and I continue to be the director, or whatever chair the chair of the department over there. So it continues. So I teach people how to code, but, I, but we built a very innovative um, evidence-based kind of data-driven um, pedagogy around in that program. And I was, I was lucky enough to be on this cool team of people who are all excited to do that. And I was put in charge to like lead the charge. So that was, that's kind of my building. That was kind of my, that's kind of my bona fides in higher ed. But then recently I've been, uh, I'm writing a book about my experiences about getting accreditation uh, for that program, and then also um, trying to start a new college, uh, which which uh, has been more challenging because we have less money, <laughs> but it's but it's still a very interesting project called Elton College, and that also we've been seeking accreditation. And so l- I've learned a lot about accreditation, and so I'm writing. I wrote a book about that that's coming out in a week called "The Caging of the American Mind." Yeah, I mean, we we intersected uh, in just kind of very sort of innovator circles around future of higher education and uh, particularly as you've been kind of working on uh, Elton College, uh, you know, that, yeah, like that's part of this sort of like building blocks of sort of your professional background of always kind of playing in this space and something I definitely have a lot of respect for. And it's almost like seeing where we are now that I feel like a lot of sort of top thinkers and leaders in this space, like very influential people are finally seeming to like, yeah. like you were maybe almost like ahead of your time just being like, oh, should we have like a three-year bachelor's and this sort of thing? And it's just like, okay, finally, <laughs> like we're that. rethinking that. Yeah. And then just like a big thing for you of that idea of like accreditation as this sort of like, you know, it is a major sort of stamp of approval, you know, for any yeah. institution where it's like, yeah. you don't have to get it. You could have a college that's not accredited, but like, how do we yeah. honor that? Like honor that precedent and that tradition, but also try to like bring it into the future. So like, I just love yeah. that you're somebody who's like really digging in on this and we'll, we'll explore more. Yeah. Of that, it's a uh, huge space here, and but, it's super, yeah. um, it's like all gnarled to just so gnarled and in the dark, the, the lights are all off and it's just, it's like a giant thorny rose bush in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I always say, I always say, I, I'm so unhappy and sad that I had to learn about it. <laughs> like, I wish it just, I wish I didn't have to be one of like the global experts in American higher education uh, accreditation because I wish, I wish it just worked and we didn't, I didn't need to, you know, I didn't need to know mm. all this stuff. Um, yeah. Like, I've started a dozen, more than a dozen different organizations. I've started, uh, charitable uh, charitable foundation i've charted started a nonprofit co-working space that's the largest co-working space in wisconsin i've i've started for-profit you know business to help bankers small businesses find bank loans i've created software startups that you know help 
people ride share. I've, I've created all these things and, and everything that I've created, I just like formed an LLC, like in 10 minutes on the internet. And then I would like take the EIN in about it, about 20 minutes, you know, 10 minutes from the IRS website. And then I would just take that EIN and go get a bank account at like Chase or whatever down the street for, it would take me like an hour to do that. And then I would have a fully fledged organization, like, you know, and I could just build a website and launch it and then I could get customers and I would just, you know, and then I tried to start, I started building colleges 10 years ago and it was like, oh no, no, you can't do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you, you know, you can do all that and then you haven't done anything. You know, no student wants to go to an, I mean, you said, oh, you can start an unaccredited college. I'm telling you, you can't. You, you talk on the phone for an admissions conversation to a student who's your perfect student, who wants to come to your school, who loves your school, who thinks your school's amazing. They go like this, mom, I really want, you know, hey, can I, you know, let me check with my mom. Mom, I really want to go to this college. It's amazing. It's so cool. It's the perfect thing for me. It's exactly the education I want to do. And the mom could even look at it and be like, wow, this is really amazing. This is such a great school. This is so cool. But then at some point in the conversation, the mom says, will it get you an accredited degree? Is it accredited? Will it get you a degree? That's an official, you know, accredited degree. And then the student says to you, is it accredited? Will I get an official accredited degree? And you have to say, no, you won't. But but it's this great education. And then the mom said, and then they say to the mom, no, it won't give you the accredited degree. But mom, it's so cool. We got to go. And she looks at him and she'll just say, it is cool, but nope. And the conversation ends. And so that kills 80, 90% of the inbound interest into your into your program if you're not accredited. So it really is a barrier. It's not just like yeah. some window dressing. And I guess there's like a quick follow-up on that. Cause I think like something that I've observed is like the boot camp space that you know, and there's other organizations that are trying to get sort of like certificates or different sort of credentials that aren't, you know, formally accredited or, you know. But you're even seeing that they're starting to kind of like fold into institutions or create these sort of like pipelines and everything and be like stackable and all that. So it's like on one hand, it's like, well, they were trying to maybe blaze a trail one way, but that even then they were sort of acknowledging like, well, you need to maybe have some sort of relationship or maybe do need to be like just a part of a university or maybe, you know, yeah, they just sort of uh, end up going under. But like, I guess just your point of view on that, I mean, like it does feel like you know, yeah, over the past decade and a lot of sort of shapes and forms and focuses, you know, and everything like people have been trying to figure this out of like, can we build maybe a sustainable, non-accredited sort of way for people to learn and grow? Because it's like, yeah, like it is so wild that like as much as we drive people towards colleges and universities, we value them as a tradition and institution and all that. Like, yeah, like it's not you're not able to kind of hold a lot of the same values in terms of like the marketplace of like new entries and competition, and all this kind of stuff, you know? So it is like that, the metaphor, which I love metaphors of like untangling it is such a like beast and stuff. But like, what is your point of view on like boot camps and those kind of things? Yeah. I think, you know, you're, you're representing, you know, what I think is, you know, the norm, the sort of normal sort of, if you're just living your life, you're, you haven't done the research and the interviewing and everything that I've done, you see it, you see, you're saying it, you're representing exactly the way it, it, it appears, but I need to like turn it on its ear for you and like tell you the, the kind of, I'm going to like give you like, you know, the real deal. I'm Morpheus here. I'm Morpheus. I'm giving you the red pill here, Dustin, and, and to all the listeners. The reality is, is that everything great and what made America's universities and colleges great was that up until 1992, 1994, and, and really kind of starting in 1970 and then going up worse and worse, it, kind of, it was kind of decade by decade. But really, 1992 is like the end. Since 1992, nobody's been able to start colleges. The number of colleges started since I've done, I did, I pulled the data and the data is in my book and no one else, as far as I can tell, has ever pulled this data. If you just graph the number of new colleges by, by, by decade, you see that the fewer colleges were made in 2010 to 2020 as in 1840. Fewer, fewer colleges started in 19, in 2010 to 2020 than 1840 to 1850 in that those decades that that's that's crazy because because the number of people the population of college going students is 50 to 100 times larger 
you and then the number of colleges new colleges is less that that's just that's just damning on its face i mean you can get into like oh why is that and well the existing colleges could kind of absorb more students or something but but the but the idea that there wouldn't be you know like i'm talking 20 colleges were founded in or 10 20 colleges were founded in the 2010s and 20s 30 colleges 30 40 colleges was founded in 1840 to 1850 um so that on its face shows you that we are living in like an ice age of new colleges and that is terrifying because all the colleges you and i can name that are like impressive and we think are cool and good were all founded by like one dude before accreditation or licensing existed in like a one-room schoolhouse in like philadelphia or whatever you know they were just like sitting around and then they were like we need like i want to teach like 30 students about like whatever they want to learn about, you know, and that became MIT, you know, that became, you know, the university of Pennsylvania was just like Ben Franklin being like, let's do this or, 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 or Thomas Jefferson. Like we need another university. Let's just build it. You know, there was no accreditation. There was no licensing. Like you don't, you don't need any of that. And you didn't need it all the way up until the seventies. And then really, uh, and then even from the seventies to the nineties, you get kind of this twilight and then it's just midnight from nineties on it's just dead. Um, and so, and so the reality is to flip it on its ear, accreditation is an aberration in American higher education. And it is a albatross that is like actually destroying the quality and the value of higher education. And it's not, and it's actually not even it, it, throughout its history. It's never even driven quality. And, and that's what my book really shows, you know, demonstrates. Hey guys, it's Zach here, founder of Enrollify with some huge, huge news. So I am ecstatic to announce that Element 451, the AI-powered all-in-one CRM platform for higher education, has acquired Enrollify. Back in 2019, I approached Tony Frega, the CEO of DD Agency, with an idea. Tony's a good friend of mine, and so I said, dude, let's build a next-generation media hub for higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. As a lover of media, I was just so impressed by how the attention landscape was changing and how brands like The Skim and The Hustle and Morning Brew began to eat up market share from more traditional publications. And I thought there was an opportunity to build something similar, uh, you know, obviously a lot smaller, but similar in the niche, but oh so important arena of higher education marketing. Tony and the leadership at DD were gracious enough to allow me the time and the space to ideate on this half-baked idea and then launch Enrollify's first ever content asset, which was, you guessed it, the Enrollify podcast. Since then, Enrollify has grown into one of the most trusted resources for candid higher education marketing content in the industry, and we've welcomed industry giants like Terry Flannery, Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Eddie Francis, Dave Kibbolds, and Jeremy Tears, just to name a few, into our network of creators. As we started thinking about the next chapter of Enrollify's life, it became clear that it was time for Enrollify to scale. I'm pretty good at building things, but scaling things is a skill I'm still working on. When thinking about who could take Enrollify to the next level, I felt as if artists, Mallory, and the leadership at Element 451 were uniquely qualified to inherit the brand. Element has actually been a part of Enrollify's story since the very beginning. They were our second podcast sponsor ever. They have invested in almost every experiment that we've ever run. They ship product faster than any other ed tech company I've ever met. And perhaps most importantly, artists and the leadership team invest seriously in thought leadership and education. Building Enrollify has been the most rewarding experience of my professional career to date, and I couldn't be happier to collaborate with the Element team as we seek to take Enrollify to the next level. And don't worry, I'm not going anywhere just yet. You are not through with my lovely voice just yet. Um, but if you found any value in Enrollify over your years of tuning into our content or watching our videos, it would mean a lot if you could share a kind word or two about how Enrollify has helped inspire you or helped teach you something new about marketing on social media. It would really, really, really mean a lot to, to the whole Enrollify and Element team, but to me personally as well. So if you've gotten any value of any of the content that we've ever produced, share a quick story or, or a quick thought about us on social. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here, guys, and get ready. We've got so much in store that I can't wait to share with you all soon. But for now, back to the podcast. Yeah. And I guess we'll just sit with this for a minute because, yeah, like you're saying is, you know, you've sort of had all these, you know, uh, like this knowledge kind of incepted into your brain through, you know, just 
your experiences and then your research and all these different things. And we, yeah. everybody else, yeah, myself included, living in sort of a blissful ignorance about, you know, the true nature of this. Because I think like other people would be able to objectively acknowledge like, well, yeah, and all the headlines I'm seeing are about like institutions closing and merging and, right, you know, right. all this kind of stuff. So then it's like, yes, and... Like no new institutions are coming in right. to like replace right. them in the right. sense of like, well, yeah, they weren't able to sort of compete or sort of all that. So you would think maybe that like new different players would enter versus yeah. it being like the incumbents just getting bigger, not even necessarily because they're doing, you know, the new greatest best work out there. It's just like, well, they've been around for 300 years. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of kind of resiliency in a sense because, you know, they kind of you know, just have this kind of halo and like the prestige or whatever that sort of insulates them to an, uh, to an extent. I honestly so think like, that would immediately um, evaporate. You know. That would immediately be destroyed and evaporated. I mean, I want those big institutions to be great. I love the American university. I, I'm a complete supporter of public universities, of all these amazing American tradition of, of higher education. The, but, but the problem is, is that the reason why we have that is because of a freedom to start new colleges that ended 50 years ago. That's why we have such a great tradition. And so what I want to do is like return to the actual American tradition, which is where, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an educated man or woman can just like rent out a room in a building, like a classroom in a building and like hang out a shingle and be like, I'll teach you about calculus, you know, like I'll teach you higher educational, you know, a high quality education and 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 then have that be an education and a degree is just a certificate that you completed that education the the idea of accreditation actually only came from uh congress after world war ii and then after the korean war trying to like uh prevent like a, the the appearance of like a grift like there was this sort of story in the media that there were these like grifter colleges that were like scamming or like stealing the money of these like soldiers who are using GI bill funds to go to college. And it turns out when I, you dig into the data, which I do, and I have all chaptered on the book, turns out there was, this was like a, f a shadow in the data. It, it was not a real thing. I mean, there was a small, you know, I mean, there's grifters and, you know, con men and, you know, crazy people, but this was not like some, oh my God, it's soaking up 15% of the budget is going to these grifters or something. It was well below like 10, 5%. Like it was this small thing. And a lot of them weren't even grifters. They were just like mail away ballroom dance classes where like, you know, the feet came on like a piece of paper and you put it down on the ground and you like moved your feet. You know, it's like a silly thing. You're not really going to learn very much, you know, but that was like maligned by uh, journalists and, and and politicians who really, I think, were just trying to malign the the greatest legislation, the GI Bill, which was giving opportunities to GIs. I think there was a big pushback probably on the right wing to say, oh, we don't actually want to give as much good free stuff like free education to the GIs. We're the, you know, we're the, we're a free, you know, we're, you know, the commie, we got to fight the commies, right? The World War II had ended. Russia was communist. It was already the beginning of the Cold War. I think there was an interest in saying, oh, we got to somehow pull back these like, uh, you know, generous programs that we're offering to these veterans. Um, and so it was really a misguided step on at the very first step of the government trying to qualify and means test the GI Bill money was already a misstep. They should have never done that. They should have just yeah. kept paying out to ballroom dance, you know, a few, a fraction of a percentage of ballroom dance mail away catalogs. Like, it doesn't hurt anybody, you know. And people who are GIs who are going to four year schools, they were taking ballroom dance classes and kissing girls in the fraternities and doing the football team. And they were doing a bunch yeah. of stuff that isn't really like, you know, economically valuable or something in some hard uh sort of industrial sense so so the idea that a few like rural people or poorer people were getting some bartender courses or ballroom dance courses at a mail order that doesn't you know that was a mistake so i think the whole thing does not work it never has worked it's never driven quality and it was a mistake to begin with and it's just been a complete departure from the the exciting american reality of hanging out your shingle and saying, I'm going to really make something great, which is what brought us MIT, 
and uh, you know, uh, Dartmouth was founded by one person. Um, a bunch of colleges started by one person. A bunch of other start colleges were started by like a team of people. Like Harvard was founded by like seven, eight right. people all working together. Um, but yeah, that that's what's gone away, and it was a mistake ever to even ever do it. And we don't need it. So yeah. Well, I, I just to sort of put sort of the final kind of you know bold underline circling on your point here. So like just so that you can kind of broadcast it out. You know all this knowledge you've curated into a book what inspired you to write it if you just want to say you know title sort of oh yeah you know, kind sure. of synopsis yeah, of it and like what do you yeah. hope people you know what do you hope people take away from it because i think there is just so much yeah. of this sort of context that people are missing that you've kind of already shared and everything so just yeah, to kind yeah. of like summarize it all together like you obviously were inspired to write this book Absolutely. and to share it out yeah so it's not my first that. book i've written three other books and i'm i'm writing i'm i'm writing i write a lot i'm doing more i'm starting another book already so i'm i'm like trying to generate more but yeah so um i write books about like solving fundamental problems at a at a first principle level uh and using data i like to use data a lot to make the cases for what the solutions are so yeah so this book is called the caging of the american mind how we broke a higher education and how to fix it and it's it's just that like as i as i looked around as a person who has worked in higher in alternative higher education and, and now i've been the chair of a department in a traditional college for two years i i like have a very um nuanced perspective of like how higher education works and especially how accreditation works. Um, and so I just, uh, yeah, so the premise of the book uh, or the thesis of the book, well, I started out by saying, asking the question, why are there so few new colleges? That was my initial research question. What the heck? Like, there's a million violent video game companies, you know? There's like a million, you know, AI companies people don't know about AI. We're inventing it as we go, but there's like a million of them, right? Like, why aren't there like a few hundred a year new colleges? Like, I, I know a dozen people who want to start new colleges who are not allowed to because of accreditation blocking them, right? And so and so, I was, I was really hung up on that question. And so I started to really dig into it. What was the history, the data uh, of it? And, and I found that the answer, you know, the common answers that people give are, well, it must just be really hard to start a college. And so it's very hard or something. But it's very hard to start a space company. And there's like hundreds of space companies. You know, that's incredibly hard. That's literally rocket science, right? Um, so it can't, it's not that hard to start a university. You just need some professors, some students. They talk to each other. You know, assignments are done. Like, it's not, this is not rocket surgery, right? So the other uh, reason people give of why they think there aren't any colleges, maybe it's a bad business model. Like you said, colleges are closing. They're merging. Maybe it's a bad business model. Why? Maybe it's not a good time to start a new, uh, start a new uh, thing. And it turns out that's also false. All the colleges I know that are starting are able to be, I mean, they're nonprofits, but they're able to be profitable, like have net revenue with 25 students and like four professors and they're doing great and, they, and they're able to get students and they'd be able to get five to 10 times more students if they could say, yeah, we're a full accredited college or if accreditation went away and they, they could just, and everyone was the same in the same kind of on the same level playing field. So, so those kind of common answers turn out to be false. They're just not right. So it was like, well, why is it then? And when I, so that's when I needed to start actually go interviewing my, my, my contacts and making new contacts with people who were starting or wanted to start colleges and asking them why, why, you know, as so you try to start this college, like what happened? Or like, you want to start a college, why aren't you? And the answer, every single person down the line, I mean, it was complex and there were different factors, but in every single case, a critical factor. And in many cases, the determining factor was accreditors slammed the door in our faces. Just, just not even, not even, I mean, or, or they paid lip service, even worse, they paid lip service to us. So we went down this track that took us years and hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And then at the critical moment, they slammed the door in our face, like even worse. I mean, in some ways, it's a blessing to have the door slammed in your face at the very beginning. That's like mercy killing, right? But to be have your door slammed in your face two years down the line when you've done everything you possibly can, according to the rules and following every, you know, every guideline. And then at the end, you know, you're caught on these technicalities, which are, which are, you know, throwaway fake, you know, bureaucracisms or whatever. Um, so yeah. So, so the premise of the book is that American higher education, we could fix it just by doing one thing, which is just allowing people to start new colleges that are, they're on the same, uh, you know, official playing field as like 
going to, you know, the University of Wisconsin or the University of Washington or Harvard or, you know, those are all in the same field. We need to just okay. allow people to start new colleges that are on the same playing field. And they could be small, they can be big. It, it doesn't matter really. I, I advocate for nonprofit colleges um, as being like that should have like a kind of a highway to starting nonprofit colleges. If you're starting a for-profit college, I think the track record of for-profits requires there to be some additional like regulation and stricter kind of uh, care to be taken. But nonprofit colleges, I think it should just be like starting a like a medical clinic. Like you know, a doctor can start a private practice. You know, there's some licensing, there's some, you know, they register with the state so that the state knows that people are being like cut open on the premises of your building, you know, but, but it happens every day, you know, doctors go and start private practices every day um, or like a restaurant, you know, you have to register with like the health thing and the, 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 but it happens every day. People make restaurants. It's a totally doable thing that that's what we need for colleges. I don't want like a wild west crazy free market or something but i want it to be like restaurants right. or medical practices where you know you register with the right kind of whatever thing and then you open your doors and you, you start having students you know <laughs> yeah yeah well i like too that like yeah you're <laughs> i guess preventing any people from like flaming you or trolling you or something where it's just like hey oh, i love no, colleges man. like i love this whole thing like i'm not saying right. it's just like wild west or whatever but it's like yes it is very ripe for like a new age and just sort of breaking down some of these like systemic barriers where, like I said, like there's so much of this sort of like, uh, you know, kind of outpouring of like, Oh, college is so great. Everybody should go and all that. But like, there's these very entrenched systemic barriers that are limiting of access because even as big as any of these institutions become, you know, they can't, and many of them don't want to, uh, accept all the students that apply yeah. or any of those sort of things. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I'm very hopeful, I guess, for uh, folks like yourself. Again, like I have a lot of respect that you're sort of advocating for this. And it feels like the moment is closer than it has ever been because like there's even people that I feel like are acknowledging that like, yeah, these accredited institutions, like they need some accountability, like because just because, again, they have this sort of halo effect, they are not, you know, helping people to have like gainful employment. So like and we're trying to figure out like what what's something that everybody can agree to to kind of just help there be you know, accountability across the board and students can make more informed choices to choose the right program at the right institution, you know, and all mm -hmm. that. So, and this is the solution that people generally come to is like, oh, we need more transparency or, you know, we need more sort of, you know, and they, they leave off the issue of no one can start new ones. And, and that's the critical issue. If you added infinite transparency, if you knew everything about any college, which which I kind of do, I have sort of like x-ray vision now. You know, if I look at a college and I talk to a few people who are there, I know exactly what's going on in that college, like exactly, because I have this sort of horse sense of talking to so many people. So, I mean, but if even if you had that transparency where anybody had that, where they knew exactly what was really going on at a school, just by looking at like a little report about that school or a website, that wouldn't change anything because because no one can offer an alternative. No one can come into that same space and say, "Yeah, we are. We do know what they're all doing, and I'm going to do something mm -hmm. different." So I'll give you an example because I think sometimes people might think like, "Like, what would we get from this? Like, why would we want to allow this to happen?" And and here's the thing: if we allowed this to happen, it would be like it would be like you know how like a uh, you know, like Dennis the Menace, like pulls back his slingshot, right? And he goes all the way back and then it's like quivering with like potential energy. <laughs> That's the way higher education is right now. If we allowed people, I mean, people way more qualified than me. I mean, I think I, I, I would start a college. I would, I would make Elton College, which I'm already working on and it would be accredited and we would immediately be able to, to launch and do stuff. But like people even more qualified than I am would, would start all kinds of different schools. And, and they're in the book. The stories of what they would do are in the book. You know, um, one of the people I talked to wanted to start a climate crisis college where every student studies sustainable develop, design and development based on the dangers of the climate crisis. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Like, there's so many students who would love to go to that. Um, other people uh, like New U University in Washington, D.C., they are building a uh, a very much like similar to a traditional kind of legacy school, but they're just changing like a few key things to just make it like $15,000 a year, three-year bachelor's, fantastic, 
education, but you just go live on campus and you go to class and it's, it's just like a normal, you know, college. So, so you'd get this huge range of like super weird futuristic stuff and you'd get interesting, you know, just sort of modular changes on the, on the legacy. Um, but, but here's the thing, all the colleges I interviewed, the most expensive tuition of any of the colleges was $15,000 a year note with no scholarship. And these scholars, these people have made spreadsheets to show that they can be a net revenue positive institution with only $15,000 a year tuition and only three years of school. So like we would solve overnight, solve the problem of, of, of student debt, the student debt crisis and the cost of education crisis. Cause anybody who didn't have very much money could just go to these new colleges that actually would be better schools, right? <laughs> because they're like using evidence-based, um, uh, things. Another thing that would happen is evidence-based education. Currently, there's all this evidence-based educational uh, research and and discoveries that have been made over the last 20 to 40 years, especially in the last 20 years since the 2000s. And all of that educational research, it's being taken up a little bit in secondary and primary schools because you can start new secondary and primary schools. But it's not being taken up at all in higher education, unless a teacher has a sort of bent towards it. Like if one of the professors kind of reads about it, then they might do it. But there's no like systemic level or like policy level adoption of evidence-based education. Well, guess what? I mean, I'm an expert in evidence-based education. Elton College will be an evidence-based education school where that's how you will learn. It won't be allowed for professors to not teach in an evidence-based educational way. So that that will launch forward learning that you can learn, you know, it's it's hard to exactly know, but you can certainly learn twice as much in half the time. That for sure. You might be able to learn like five times as much in half the time. Like it, it's not really clear exactly because, you know, we haven't been able to stack like 30 evidence based discoveries on top of each other and see like what it does to the to the humans who learn in that environment. Um, but but we would just leap forward as a society educationally and the cost would plummet down to, you know, like you could work a you could work jobs in the summer and you could, you know, pay for most of it. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's what I like. I mean, because I yeah. wanted to ask and you just hit right on us like what is the impact for students like increasing competition and, you know, just these different offerings. It's like, they'd be able to study more precisely what they want, like that climate crisis, like, you know, sort of institution, uh, likely learn more quicker for cheaper. Like all, like it would just check all the boxes of these sort of pain points that modern higher education is sort of just like scratching its head on of like, how do we kind of move the needle on these things? And uh, I think, my my curious thing is that you know I had these questions and I just I love where the conversation is going because I feel like we could talk about this for a very long time, but I <laughs> you, I think you've covered it very well and obviously you know definitely encourage folks to check out the book to kind of get more in depth with this. But like I am curious to kind of point this question very sort of you know directly towards you because I almost just want to know for myself and I feel like this will be kind of a good really like you know yeah en- one of the yeah, ending yeah, points here. Do you think yeah. that the change that you feel like, you know, you're sort of proposing and advocating for here, would it be that we reform existing accreditation or that we just like remove that altogether? I feel like that's sort of the fork in the road of like, if you're trying to clairvoyant, you know, determine the future, predict the future, what do you think would be more likely? Well, you know, the best way to make, the best way to, the best way to predict the future is to make it. That's what we say in San Francisco, right? That's the best way. <laughs> so I think there's there's really, I, in the book, I, I suggest six, five possible solutions. And I kind of do the pros and cons and like and pros, like what's the most likely to happen and kind of what would it take to do each one. Uh, one of the solutions is reforming accreditation, okay? That will not happen. That will absolutely, I, I mean, there's less than a fraction of 1% chance that that could happen. And that's because the historical record. They've been trying to reform accreditation for mm-hmm. since it was born, like for 50 years. People, there's evidence of people, really powerful people, the presidents of the United States, multiple, the Congress of the United States over decades have been trying to get accreditation to reform. And I outlined the history, uh, you know, I tell the history, the gory details of the history in the book. For example, people don't even know. There's a secret story that nobody knows in higher education, which is called the Sprees. The Sprees, they were the state, they were like an alternative to accreditation that were passed by 
a, a Democratic Congress under a Democratic president, under a Republican president, and then supported by a Democratic president with a Republican Congress. So it was like total bi, bi, uh, bipartisan support for these sprees, which were going to totally replace accreditation with state level accreditation offices. And, and you could get accredited with the private accreditor or you could get the state accreditor and you and then you'd be accredited. And the state the state ones were like amazing. They were like holding way higher standards and, and they were fair and you could apply. And in a few months, you could get like a provisional accreditation and be accredited like they were the exact right solution. This was 1992. This passed in Congress. Well, in 1994. The, the accreditors pulled out all stops, lobbied Newt Gingrich's Congress, and got them to do a judicial, uh, a, a budget rescission to cut the budget out from underneath the sprees. So not even, so the law got passed. The sprees w- became law, but then they used a budget rescission to cut the budget out to kill them. And then they all died. So like, that's an, like, we've been trying to do this for decades and the accreditors are absolutely stalwart they are a fantastically an apt cartel. So they're a cartel. They defend their own marketplace from competition and 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 collude on price and quality of their product. That that's what a cartel is, and that's what they do. And they're it's actually really hard to maintain a cartel because uh, there's it's so there's such strong incentives to compete and do better than the other person and take more of their market share. Uh, and but they've actually done a fantastic job of using the government and the media and a bunch of other you know kind of levers at their uh, you know prestige and you know uh, things that are at their control to really con- to really keep that cartel going. Um, and so so anyways, we won't be able to uh, change a credit that that will never happen. Uh, it's a fool's errand to do that. Uh, you have to build an alternative or you have to just what I think the best solution. And this is not just me, actually, I probably the most important person I interviewed for the book was Judith Eaton. Uh, she's the she's like the pope of accreditation. She <laughs> she's she was she was the she was the president, the founding president and president for 27 years at Chia, which is the Council for Higher Education Accreditation. They're the accreditors of the accreditors. So they accredit the accreditors. And she was the president, the founding president and president for 27 years until like two years ago. And I was able to interview her because the people I was talking to knew her and they recommended to me that I talk to her and I got to talk to her. And she said, put this all on the record. And she just, she told me the truth, uh, which is, she was like, accreditation is, she completely confirmed what I'm saying here. She, she says with that, with no uncertain terms that accreditation is incapable of dealing with new organizations is blocks changes from legacy colleges. There's plenty of legacy colleges who want to do better and they're not allowed to because they, they won't be able to get accreditation if they did that. Um, and, and she, and she just comes out and says it. And her solution uh, that I liked was that we should just write a, like a one page law, like a very simple law that just, tells the Department of Education to just ignore accreditation uh, when 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 con- being concerned with financial aid stuff. Just say if the college has state licensure and they're registered with the Department of Education federally, then they can get then they're a fully then they're a full college. And that to me is the most likely, the easiest to do, the most fair, the most everything is just just go from what's called the triad system of accreditation to a dyad system. So go from state licensors, accreditors, and the Department of Education to just state licensure and the Department of Education and just let accreditation become an optional an optional thing. It's like a building can be like a LEED certified building if you'd like, you know. And then when people walk in the building, they see the little LEED certified thing and they're like, oh, this is cool, LEED certified, you know. But it but it shouldn't be like, oh, you can't get any, you can't get a bank loan to build this building unless you have a LEED certificate. You know, that that's that's not what we need in education. We just need the dyad system. You could build the most sustainable building on planet Earth, and you would not need to get it lead certified. Like that idea that's like you know that's not a requirement, right? That's part of it. It's just <laughs> yeah, sort of exactly. a marketing thing, and like yeah, that there's already right. a lot of it's like object, other right. Because I think almost like what the value could be of like as like or you know say that scenario plays out, accreditation would likely just sort of like naturally kind of like decay and sort of dissolve. There's already a lot of like consortiums or groups and things nationwide that it's just sort of like yeah, these are institutions that right. want to come together right. and say like hey, we all value 
X, Y, or Z. We want to like maybe pool our resources right. or just have right. conferences and talk about things and sort of like keep trying to have sort of a rising tide lift mm-hmm. all ships versus like, you know, accreditation almost being this sort of like, well, you're kind of chained down to sort of like what was when we made this and it's preventing you from being sort of unleashed right. to, right. and I guess exactly to your, to your point of caging the American mind, right? you know, we want people to yeah. be sort of that potential <laughs> caging, energy yeah, to be released it. and sort of people be able to have the freedom to be right. like, yeah, we're, you know, uh, a very yeah. venerable, prestigious institution. We want to have, yeah, the three-year bachelors or like anything under the sun that can sort of exist under the same banner yeah. and not have it be like, well, you could do that if you want, but it's going to be unaccredited and people can't get financial aid for it or whatever. So it's like, sure, go put it off into right, an island right. of like, you know, you whatever. Um, and work, yeah, right. like it's always just right. going to be sort of right. hamstrung in that way. So um, I like that, that and I, what you sort of outlined feels, yeah, very yeah. realistic, very practical, very possible uh, and would be, again, one of those things that sort of can kind of have the compromise of like honoring what was, but very much saying like, please blast off towards the future. Like we are trying to uninhibit you yeah. to, yeah. uh, you know, move towards those ideas that you sort of had to like, you yeah. know, yeah. and what, and what you would see is you would not see legacy colleges right. fail or something like, like, you know, the university of Wisconsin would not like crumble, you know, into like a ruin or something. What you would see is exactly what you've seen throughout all of American history before this, which is, and I outline this whole, I tell the whole history in the book. America colleges are inherently conservative organizations. They are backwards looking and they should be. Knowledge is backwards looking, you know, to a large extent. It's what you know from what you learned in the past, right? They are backwards looking. They have older people who run them, which they should and which I appreciate. But but so they are inherently a conservative organization. Not not right wing, but conservative. They they inherently are traditional and kind of you know, hang back and, and, and hold keepers of the flame. And that's all good. But throughout American history, what you saw is the new colleges entering would then stimulate those old organizations to take careful and deliberate steps forward. And that's what they did. You know, when, you know, in, in, in 18, uh, in the 1860s, 40s and 50s and 60s, um, they there was all this explosion in new new technology you know metallurgy and railroads and agronomy you could do all kinds of different crop rotation and all kinds of interesting stuff in in agriculture and the universities were not responding they were not building engineering and agronomy programs they refused to right and 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 in this case uh, you know the federal government said well we'll just pay you to do it like they need stimulation they need stimulation to do it um, and, uh, you know, Yale got, you know, what is the equivalent today of hundreds of millions of dollars from the federal government to build an agronomy program because they refused to do it without being bribed, you know, to do it. And that's an example of the federal government, but you need, you need accountability from all kinds of sides, but new colleges are the best accountability, especially for our time. Um, um, and, and when people talk about land grant colleges, Right, colleges that started with a federal land grant, the key word there is started. They were new colleges that then threatened Harvard, Yale, you know, the existing colleges who were refusing to build engineering and agronomy programs. Um, and so, um, you know, today, what if we saw like an internet college start, right? That was just an amazing internet-based college. Like even if you were in person, it would be about the internet. It would teach you all about the internet. That's the same as saying, let's build an agronomy program in 1860, 1870. We just aren't doing it today. There is no, no one's being allowed to do that. So yeah, so what we'd see is not a crumbling of all of institutions, but a, but a, a reignition of the kind of movement forward conservative but deliberate movement forward uh, and incorporation of the best the best things that come from the new colleges would be then quickly i mean these universities are run by very smart people <laughs> you know they're not stupid uh so so when they see things that actually work and they're in the position for their incentives to have to improve they can quick they can they can incorporate the most proven and high quality uh discoveries that the new colleges are are doing uh so i see it as just a complete reignition 
a, a complete kind of phoenix sort of rising of the American university system if we just did the simplest possible thing, which is open up the cage and let all the like let new people start colleges and universities. Um, uh, not only people like me, but there's a lot of people uh, who want to do this. I, in my travels and, and experiment and learning, I've met dozens. I can I could list off a list of names of people who've told me. Oh, of course I would start a university, but you can't. So I'm not going to. I'm going to stay here and run this administrative office or be a professor in this department instead of going and starting a new university. So yeah, it's kind of a kind of a build it and you and they will come yeah. environment. Uh, and you don't have to have faith in this. Just look at every other industry. You know, there's a reason why in 1986, you know, Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street was holding this big plastic brick to his head, you know, uh, to do a cell phone call on the beach. And it was it was a, you know, four pound, you know, brick that he was holding. And now you have an iPhone uh, that's, you know, weighs less than less than a couple ounces and it does a 10,000 more things. It's because anyone can start a cell phone company, anybody. And that, that improves things. Um, and, and I don't want people to think I'm some kind of like free market psycho. I, I'm not, I'm just, I want, I just, it's just a reality when you can, when you can start things, it, it makes right. things better. And when you can't, it, it just, things just go. Right. Just Cause I think it's sideways. the idea that they're like, because somebody would say, it's like, well, there is competition, right? And it's like, well, in a sense, but it's all these, these sort of, like yeah, you said, yeah, very traditionalist incumbents and all that. And so it's like, we kind of need a shot in the arm because it's been so long where there hasn't been new entrants that are doing, yeah, doing what they're doing differently. And like you said, it would be that sort of incremental uh, kind of pace of change and everything. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've, feel very inspired and hopeful uh you second the thing it's just that idea of like well the the ship is sinking there's definitely a hole but people are just like what do we do what do we do and it's like <laughs> have some ideas if you would you know really kind of seriously consider yeah. them and like you said there's so yeah, many people that are yeah. kind of just yeah. you know primed and ready to go like people who really value education and are you know wanting to work in it if it's like not doing the thing that they dreamed or envisioned of of sort of creating different uh you know, avenues for people to pursue uh, education. It's like, you know, like, you know, to me, like I said, it's like there's all these kind of check boxes that would be marked off. And I feel like it would just be like more people would be inspired and sort of be able to access the education that they would want and the way that they would want it. And oh, it's yeah. like the world oh, and society more, just yeah. benefits from more people being educated. So let's try to like create Everybody. more opportunities yeah. for that. And sort of what you're advocating yeah. for in the book is is a very powerful way very clear path you know it's yeah. not shredded but like i think uh you know provides yep. a lot of promise uh, potential for sure but um i'll share one more thing that i learned about the book that i think was probably the most inspiring and an exciting thing about new colleges which is up until the mid 1800s it was there was nowhere in the world where people of color or women were allowed to go to college nowhere. America was the first. And the reason why we were the first was because anyone could start a college. And so a bunch of freed slaves, black people in the North started the historically, uh, you know, historically black colleges and universities. Right. And, and, and progressive and, and progressive white people too. I mean, the, the white people helped the black people do that, like especially Quakers and a lot of people who are abolitionists, you know, they were like, we're going to build colleges to help um, people of color. And the same thing with women, you know, Oberlin College was the first co-ed college. It was a new college. Uh, Wesleyan was the first women's college. It was a new college. And, and, and it's clear to me, and I think it's clear to anyone who looks at the regime of accreditation today, that if today's accreditors, accreditation system were in place in 1825, uh, when Oberlin was, you know, starting, they would be stopped. They would be told you cannot start. And that, that's very dramatic if you really think about it. What, what would happen if HBCUs had not been able to start? What would happen if Wesleyan and Bryn Mawr and, and, and all the women's colleges and new co-ed colleges had not been able to start like Oberlin? Oberlin was the first multiracial college. They accepted people of color. It was the first ever in history. <laughs> as far I mean, maybe Toledo in the Middle Ages, you know, let Jews and Muslims in or something. But 
that you know that that in in that time that was the only one if i i'm concerned that today for the past 50 years we've strangled in the cradle colleges that would have been the spearhead of social movements to increase the liberty of people to protect the climate um there are no asian american colleges why why are there no historically asian american just like they're historically black universities and colleges. There are no LGBT colleges and universities. Why? The answer is no one can start colleges anymore. That's yeah. why. <laughs> if, if, if people could, there would be. There would be climate crisis colleges and, liberal, and LGBTQ colleges and Asian American colleges. And there's been one or two Latino colleges that have tried to start. But again, there would, there would be Latino colleges. There would be more these colleges that would be bulwarks of freedom and, and social justice and, and economic justice. And, and so I, I, that was, that was really one of the most uh, astounding and sort of terrifying things for me uh, was that, was that the, the way colleges um, can be a, um, a source of change, a social change and improvement. Um, and that might be part of the reason why the rich and power, I mean, the powerful allow it to continue is because they actually don't, you know, the most powerful people probably don't actually want there to be a bunch of uh, inspired, educated uh, people who want freedom. <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, uh, like that's the idea of like say, systemic yeah. barriers. Yeah, it's like where they're like, hey, I think everything's fine or whatever. So yeah, I think uh, right, yeah. I'm a millionaire, so um, everything's great. I think that's a that's a really powerful you know place to end it. Kind of the sky's the limit. You could just be like, oh, we could see a college that looks like this or this or that, or you know, and like, and that's kind of the beauty of it. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, again, we'll encourage folks to check out the book to kind of get more of the context and the history and sort of all the uh, advice and things that you uh, kind of put in there. Um, but just thank you so much for for your work, your advocacy, you know, putting all this together and everything. And always great chatting with you. Thanks, Dustin, and thanks for doing this. You're the keeper of the flame here among the you're the king of the ner- king of the higher ed nerds. So let's do it. <laughs> thanks so much, Dustin. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify podcast network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.